May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And one additional poem from Rupi Kaur entitled Loneliness. The irony of loneliness is we all feel it at the same time together. Thank you, Jill. It is kind of a, a, a funny thing and a, a tricky thing. As a pastor, striving to offer a sermon reflecting on love. It is, as I joked about in the beginning, that thing that we talk about all the time. Jesus says very clearly that all of the rules, the commandments, every aspect of Scripture can be boiled down to this simple rule. Love God and love your neighbors as you love yourself. It is the simple core foundation of our faith tradition and most faith traditions in the world. It is the simple foundation of most secular human commitments to one another. And yet we all, of course, struggle to navigate how to live as loving beings in the messiness of life. And I would not be surprised if I were to take a survey of the congregation this morning to describe the state of our world as it stands, I would not be surprised if no one said loving. It's also strange as a pastor to approach this sermon when I feel like the poems and the scriptures kind of say all the words themselves. <laughs> I'm not going to top what Ellen Bass and Wendell Berry and Khalil Gibran and Paul have to say. So rather than try to, to, to come up with new, trite, clever things to say, I thought I would look back on a few of the moments in my life where I have been surprised or challenged by love. And in doing so, I do think I have one thing to share this morning. But first, I want to I step back and, and look at a few instances where I have found myself 
transformed by love rather than just by the kind of mere transactional practice of love. I have found myself changed by love a handful of times in my life, and each of them have been unique and challenging and strange. The first that comes to mind, it's a situation I, I think of often. Laura and I had just gotten married in Minneapolis, and we did the thing that many people do before trying to have kids. We decided to get a dog. Now, we're both cat people. I don't actually remember at this point in my life why we chose to get a dog. But we got a dog, and more than that, we got a puppy as first-time dog owners. Yes, a few of you nodding along. And it was, up until then, before we had kids, probably the hardest thing that we had ever done. The sudden loss of independence that we experienced and having to constantly care for this puppy really shook us up. Me in particular, who is used to being in control of my life and my schedule and being able to do many good and loving things in the world, I suddenly had a dependent that was needy and difficult and learning. And uh, there's, parenting's gonna rhyme with this story. <laughs> but along the way, that first winter, I think for about a two month stage in January and February, our growing puppy began to have these stomach issues, and every night, she was okay during the day, but every single night she would wake up hourly and have to be taken out to the bathroom. And we worked very closely with our vets. They could not figure out what was going on with her. They had a whole list that we were systematically checking through one week at a time, let's try this, let's try that, let's try that. And it was good practice for not having sleep as parents, but it was one of the most difficult, frustrating experiences that I had in, I've had in my life up to this point. And I remember so distinctly, I often find myself coming back to this feeling. One night, you know, halfway through this two-month period, waking up just exhausted, coming down the stairs with her, She's shaking, knowing that she needs to go outside to do her business. I looked at her in her little puppy face and in my exhaustion, and she looked back at me with an expression of pain and sorrow and confusion. And I looked back at her and just felt love for this creature who had taken my independence, who was keeping me up every single night with no explanation about why. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of manipulation is this? And then I remember thinking in my own internal dialogue, you are going to teach me how to love in a way that I do not know yet. A similar thing happened during the pandemic, during those early months of the pandemic when many of us were lost, confused, afraid, separated from each other, we pulled our kid out of daycare those first three or four months trying to figure out what was going on. And Laura and I both had the blessing and benefit of keeping our jobs and figuring out how to work remotely with a one-and-a-half-year-old at home. And what we would do is we would wake up at 4 a.m. and we would 
work until 10 p.m. more or less, and then we would just trade Avery off on and on throughout the day, trying to get as close as we could to the six or eight hours or so that we needed to do our jobs. It, even more so than that story with the dog, was just the most exhausting, devastating, challenging thing that we have had to deal with. And yet, when I look back at that time, well, I would never sign up for it. Proactively, I would never sign up for it again. I look back at that time, and I remember these two or three hour chunks of just taking Avery outside, walking around the block, nowhere to go, trying to give Laura space to do her job. And that is where I felt myself becoming a father rather than a person who was trying to parent my daughter. I think whatever bit of independence, whatever walls that I had trying to sort of, I, I'm still my own person, I'm, I'm, I'm Brennan at the core, and then I'm Avery's dad sometimes, and I'm a pastor sometimes, that got chipped and chiseled away by these long and draining hours of just being present with my daughter. And as that fell away by necessity, I found myself taking on the mantle of father more and more. And when I look back at those months, I would not trade them for the world because that is when it feels like I became a dad through and through, and I became her dad. Um, and it changed me. Those months changed me by necessity. And so I look at back at both these stories, both these situations, and on the one hand, I, I find myself thinking about how devastatingly difficult they were, and yet how also I found myself growing more closely and closely in love with this dependent, and how whatever independence that I wanted to keep for myself was being broken away, cast away in that moment. And here's what I got today in terms of my reflection, my contribution on love. I find myself thinking back in those stories and really realizing that love is an act of opening one's self. Love is a commitment of opening ourselves to others as they in turn open themselves to you Contrary to popular opinion, I would say that love is not about giving yourself away. Because when we open ourselves to others, we do have the chance to find a deeper part of ourselves. When we open up our heart to others, there's space for deeper feelings to be felt. To that end, love helps us to find those deep places that we would perhaps rather keep walled off or at guard because sometimes it's easier to not love when we're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of letting go. But love is not a giving yourself away. It's not a diminishing. It is a deepening of the self. The challenge is that it also opens us up to the deep end of life's swimming pool. 
And I think that's what makes love such a hard thing for many of us adults, us adults who have felt the pain and sting of life, us adults who have put our love and trust in others and have had that broken at times, us adults who have learned to love someone closely only to see the pain of a death or diagnosis. I know, for example, that I have now fallen deeply in love with two delightful, creative, and challenging little girls who, in a blink of an eye, will be teenagers who are no longer interested in long hugs or dance parties or bedtime snuggles. I am desperately in love with two people who will change and grow and will likely grow out of wanting to love me the way that they do right now. Many of you have given yourselves in similar ways to a parent, to a partner, to friends, to your children, to your grandchildren. And we have that old maxim, is it better to have loved and lost than to never love at all? I hear it bantied about a lot in talking about romantic relationships, but I think it is just as true and existential a question for all of our relationships in life. Is it better to have loved and lost a dear partner, a close fr friendship, a parent, even a child? Is it worth loving in those instances when the pain of loss could be on the other side? The opening poem that Jill read for us, Ellen Bass's The Thing Is, I think wrestles with that reality. For often in life, the deeper we love others, the deeper we risk the experience of grief and loss that does inevitably come with living. How can a body withstand this, the poet asks. While our scripture contends that love bears and endures all things, those of us who have loved and lost knows that sometimes it is simply unbearable. And that some stories of grief are born not with steely strength, but with an utter brokenness. That with hope and help can in time lead to healing. Here's the shocking, surprising strength. And the reason that I picked those two stories to share, it's worth it. It is somehow worth it to risk the experience of loss. It is worth it to open ourselves to others, to love others, to love lives that are mortal, to open ourselves to relationships that won't last forever. It is worth it because, as Wendell Berry states, whatever happens, those of us who learn to love make our way to the land of the living, whatever happens. Some of us may need help to get there because of some of the walls that we put up, the protections that we have. But at the end of the day, we are relational beings who are made of love and who are made to love. 
and yes, who are made to be remade time and time again by love. When we do withhold ourselves from love, whether that's loving God, loving neighbor, loving a family member, a friend, or loving ourselves, when we withhold ourselves from that calling to love, even if we're trying to protect ourselves, we are denying a part of our essence. That is why, despite all of the pain and messiness that comes with love, we nevertheless crave it as human beings. Because we know the weight of its absence. And thus the poet says, the irony of loneliness is that we all feel it at the same time together. That brings me to us, the church, this community. What is it that we are trying to do here together? Do we come here together each week in order to change the world? For I know indeed many of us do hope to change the world, myself included. In truth, I argue we are not powerful enough to change the world. We are not powerful or influential enough alone to create the conditions of peace and justice that we and our God long for. Rather, I would argue that we are here to change ourselves and to practice loving God, loving our neighbors, loving ourselves here in the context of community such that when we go back out into the world, we are changed human beings who will not look injustice or the absence of love in the eye and think thus is life. But rather, by, by practicing the courageous act of love over and over again until we ourselves as are changed, we come together to be a place where generations of people are changed by love time and time again. A love that may cast out fear and greed and loneliness, a love that may lead us to a more compassionate understanding of ourselves and others. I know that's what my church did for me when I was a child growing up in the midst of a family dealing with, with alcoholism and a whole lot of messy situations. There was this place where peers and younger children and older adults and everyone in between came together to practice how to be a force of love in the world. In a moment, Judy Nelson's gonna share the poem that she selected for our summer series and a story about what this love can look like and how she understands it. But as we prepare to, to, move, to close this reflection and step into hers, I simply wanna state again it's not about giving yourself away. Love is about opening yourselves to others and to community. And when we risk that, because it is a risk, we also can deepen 
find the deeper places of ourself, the deeper currents of our spirituality, the deeper commitments of our shared humanity. There are plenty of instances of superficial love around us. Do we, as a community, dare to risk the deeper, more open, more vulnerable versions of that? in order to make room for each other and practice nurturing this love into being. Judy, I know you have one experience of what this looks like, and I'd ask that you come and share along with your poem here now. Good morning. The poem on children I share with you today, I have treasured for many years. I shared it actually with you, the St. Luke congregation, when my daughter Nicole, Nicole Nelson, now Nicole Egan, was baptized here in 1978. The poem is from the book, The Prophet, by Khalil Gibran. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, speak to us of children. And he said, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. This poem helped me to dig deeper into my soul of what it means and doesn't mean to be a parent. It deepened my belief that children are indeed a gift from God, ours to nurture, provide for, and love with all our heart, while realizing their own unique individual person. It also means that we, as a community of love, have a commitment to love, nurture, and care, not only for our children, but also to love, nurture, 
and care for children of our broader community and indeed for all children of the world. This is the vow that we take at the time of baptism and to our church community. Love of God, love of one another, love of self, all woven together, a colorful quilt, a world community of love. On a very personal note, I would like to say what an awesome gift it is to be part of this loving community of faith for me for almost 50 years. You have helped shape my life, my children, Steve and Nicole's lives, and now also my grandchildren, Ari and Ella's lives. You have provided us with many opportunities to learn and grow in our faith, as well as to serve with joy in multiple ways by providing spiritual wisdom and dialogue, as well as fun, educational, joyous adventures and leadership opportunities for all of our children to grow and to help build a world community of love. I thank you St. Luke community for being a beacon of hope for me, for my family in a very troubled world. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.